Hey there, how is China's perspective on the Israel-Hamas conflict shaping its regional and global aspirations? What comes next? I'm Aaron Young, let's find out. Now, streaming right around the world, this is Ticker Today. Hello and welcome wherever in the world you are watching. Great to have your company. Coming up this hour, Representative Jim Jordan's bid to become House Speaker is gaining momentum. Several Republican holdouts today throwing their support behind the Ohio lawmaker. We'll have that story coming up first, though, our top story this hour. And today, diplomatic efforts failed to get aid to the besieged Gaza Strip, and Israel ordered the evacuation of its villages in a strip of territory near its border with Lebanon. There are now fears the war could spread to a new front after Israel vowed to annihilate Hamas. They think it's not people here. These people here, these people here live. It's not life. Palestinians and foreign nationals flocked towards the Rafah crossing on Monday seeking to flee across the Egyptian border. But as food, water and fuel run short in Gaza, hopes for a brief ceasefire in the south to let foreign passport holders leave and aid get in were dashed, as Israel intensified its bombardment ahead of an expected ground assault. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's office said there was no truce, hours after Egyptian security sources told Reuters an agreement had been reached on Rafah. Gaza residents said the overnight Israeli strikes were the heaviest in nine days of conflict since the attack on Israel by Hamas militants that killed 1,300 people, the bloodiest single day in the state's 75-year history. As U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken arrived in Israel for talks on Monday, Iran said the United States should be held to account for its role in the conflict. In Khan Yunis, rescuers pulled the bodies of children from the rubble. They belonged to the Zugmat family, and they'd fled bombing in northern Gaza to take refuge with relatives. Abid Rabaya is a neighbor. We were inside the house when we saw bodies scattering, flying through the air. The bodies of children who have nothing to do with the war. They were safe at home and they knew nothing. Their bodies were thrown into the air. Authorities in Gaza say a quarter of the 2,750 people killed in the bombardment have been children. Another 1,000 people are missing, believed to be under the rubble. Israeli planes bombed three headquarters of the Civil Emergency and Ambulance Service in Gaza City, killing five people and paralyzing rescue services in those areas, health officials said. Fuel reserves at all hospitals in the enclave are only expected to last another 24 hours putting thousands of patients at risk, the United Nations Humanitarian Office said early Monday. Now, as the Israel-Hamas conflict continues to unfold, the Chinese public remains closely attuned to developments in the Middle East. The enduring clash between Israel and Hamas has garnered significant attention on Chinese news platforms as well as social media. The conflict marked by rocket attacks, airstrikes and ground operations has evoked mixed reactions and concerns among the Chinese public. The conflict's humanitarian toll with civilian casualties and infrastructure damage has not gone unnoticed, further fueling discussions about the crisis. But what could it mean? for China's long-term plans to take back Taiwan. And with the United States now stretched across the war in Ukraine and the war in Gaza, what would the US be able to do to try and stop China from invading Taiwan? For more, we're joined by David Zhang from China Insider, who's in New York. David, great to see you. Uh, what's the extent of the Chinese public's engagement with what's happening with the Israeli-Hamas conflict? 
there's been a long-term uh, education in Chinese media about the friendship between Palestine and uh, China, and that's ingrained at least when I was very young to uh, the Chinese people. But today, with the uh, advancement in social media, I think more people are divided among different aspects. In that one side, they might be more exposed to what's going on in Gaza and Israel. Others might simply still hold the older. Uh, narratives, but regardless, I think now the online debate is uh, shaping up to be again, uh, from what we've seen so far, that is more pro-Palestine and and the side on that versus Israel. But uh, there are there are more questions being raised. Let's put it like that about the Israel situation and what led to the latest conflict. Well, talk to us if you can about China's stance on the conflict and how it goes influencing regional dynamics. We know about China's role in, in trying to influence what happens in Asia, sometimes in Europe as well, certainly the war in Ukraine too. But what about what's happening in the Middle East? Yeah, well, Aaron, I'm, I fear that what's what has happened in Ukraine is a it's being repeated with the same formula when it comes to Israel and Hamas, simply because now China is playing the neutrality game again, where they attempt to act like they are trying to find peace and negotiation and common grounds among the two different sides. But uh, according to the latest Wang Yi, the foreign minister, he has come out and condemned Israel's uh, looming invasion into Gaza. And so they've chosen a side, and this side is where one that China can play much more of a role of leadership in the Middle East. And that includes uh, existing friends like Iran, like uh, Syria, like Lebanon, and like Palestine. So to side more with the side of Palestine and Hamas, it seems to be the tone that they're mm. underputting uh, what's, what the neutrality stands for. And so are there indications that China might be looking for a diplomatic role at the moment in trying to resolve the crisis? What have they been doing over the past week? Because the United States, as we know, have been playing a huge role there. We've seen different players in the Middle East as well, traveling to each other's countries for talks. What about China in all this? Well, today we found that uh, Russia's president, uh, Vladimir Putin, has uh, been having phone calls with multiple different countries, including uh, the Saudis, Israel itself, as well as other parties. So has China. China has been in contact with Iran, with the Saudi, with uh, Russia, with all, pretty much all parties involved. And, and the goal here is, again, to be the loudest voice in the room, to kind of lead the direction of a potential peace negotiation or a ceasefire. And then they are the first so that they can have a louder voice than the United States. And we'll see how that plays out. But that's the attempt by China right now is to be the one that starts and potentially finishes the negotiation uh, because they have track records, right, with Iran and Saudi, with uh, the expanding presence in the Middle East. So that's where they're going for the obvious question is, would now be a good time for uh, China to invade Taiwan, given that the number one country that would be standing up against them would be the United States right now drawn across two wars. Obviously, two aircraft carriers now in the east side of the Mediterranean Sea. The United States also assisting Ukraine in their ongoing war with Russia. China will be watching closely, right? They'll be saying, is this our moment? Um, President Biden was asked on 60 Minutes in the US over the weekend about whether the United States could be stretched across so many different uh, uh, war zones. His reaction was, we're the United States, for heaven's sake, we're the biggest country in the world. What are your views on China's thoughts and linking Taiwan to what's happening in Ukraine and also Gaza? Yeah, well, I think that Taiwan is definitely the next target, but I don't think it will happen as of yet because, remember, we still have a 2024 Taiwanese presidential election. So China still has a, a bit of room to prepare. But I do think that uh, based on a, a, a strategist that thought this, 
uh, from China. He talks about a three campaign, which is to start three different types of campaign across Europe, the Middle East, and in Asia. So we could potentially see something perhaps across the Korea, uh, Korean Peninsula or somewhere else. But I do think that Taiwan is the ultimate target, and they're on the track to potentially increasing or escalate this existing situation in uh, the Middle East to a point where the United States with its finite resource cannot sustain mm. maybe a three-front war or even a four-front war. I think that's when they will strike. Let's talk about what's happening in China's economy at the moment because things seem to be getting worse. What are the factors contributing to China's rising debt levels and how are you seeing it play out at the moment? Yeah, well, since Xi Jinping has taken office and since the pandemic, it's shifted to from the reform and opening up economy first to now it's politics first. So political identity and political security becomes the center focus of the Xi regime. And in this aspect, uh, making money or spending money really becomes a contributing factor rather than a driving factor for China's growth. And uh, growth right now uh, to Xi Jinping means that it has to be under a certain amount of control, one where he can control the potential uh, development in areas that he thinks will be fitting his national strategy vis-a-vis -vis Taiwan or perhaps something that he thinks it's needed to defend against Western sanctions. And so the trend right now for China's economy is actually quite natural if we view it as a political security first rather than a developing economy first approach in that way uh, having less money or people unable to afford to live is not really the main focus of the uh, the CCP right now, mm. which I think uh, many people might think that might be kind of weird given how people's livelihood are on the line. And the world will be watching pretty closely on this as well, right? Because obviously so many countries like Australia reliant on the Chinese economy on the up. Now things are on the decline. What happens next? Yeah, unfortunately, I think China simply doesn't care when it is going to screw over other countries, when, in fact, it needs to protect its own security interest above everything else. And I think that's where mm. we need to start looking at options like delinking or decoupling, uh, not completely, but somewhat. I think that's to protect ourselves. Yeah. All right. David Jang, as always, appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Representative Jim Jordan's bid to become House Speaker is gaining momentum, with several Republican holdouts now throwing their support behind the Ohio lawmaker. Jordan will face a crucial vote in the House Tuesday at noon. He needs 217 GOP votes in the closely divided chamber. U.S. Representative Jim Jordan emerged on Friday as the Republicans' second House Speaker nominee in a week. But even though closed-door votes left Jordan with the backing of a majority of House Republicans, he was still shy of the 217 votes he would need to seize the Speaker's gavel. After an initial vote in which Jordan beat out Representative Austin Scott for the nomination, the second round of voting did not result in much more support for the Ohio congressman. As lawmakers said, about one in four House Republicans cast a ballot purely against Jordan. Since Republicans control the chamber by a narrow margin, they cannot afford to lose more than four votes if Democrats vote against Jordan, as they are expected to do. Jordan, who serves as House Judiciary Committee chair, tormented Republican leaders for years as a vocal advocate for the party's right wing. 
He has the endorsement of former President Donald Trump. He also has the endorsement of Kevin McCarthy, who was ousted as House Speaker on October 3rd in a historic vote. Jordan narrowly lost the nomination on Wednesday to Steve Scalise, who was seen as the heir apparent to McCarthy. But Scalise abandoned his bid on Thursday after it became clear he could not consolidate Republicans behind him. Without a speaker, the House is at a deadlock as war expands in the Middle East, Russia continues to pound Ukraine, and the U.S. government faces a November 17th partial shutdown deadline without additional funding from Congress. You are watching Ticker. Great to have your company. Just a reminder, you can follow us anytime on social media or download the Ticker app for free from whichever app store you use your device with. Coming up later this hour, of course, is Mike Loder with Ticker Now, as well as Veronica Dudo in a couple of hours' time with In America Today. I'm Aaron Young. Thanks so much for your company, and I hope to see you soon. You're watching Ticker. We'll have more in just a few minutes. 